Well, good morning. It is indeed a privilege to stand before you. I realize it's been a little while since I've stood before you on Sunday morning. Uh, some of you have reminded me it's been a while since I've been here on Sunday morning. It's only been two weeks, folks. I don't know if you were, you may have not have been here the week before. Uh, someone said, I thought you were going part-time. I said, no, you're stuck with me for now. It's good to be, it's good to be back with you. Last Sunday I was preaching at the homecoming of at the church I served before. Uh, and, and I think some of you know, uh, I served that church from 2012 to 2016. Well, Pastor Chris served that church from 1994 to 1997. <laughs> and uh, so they bring their greetings to you as well. It's good to see all of you on this Labor Day weekend. A good number of you uh, here today. Welcome our guests also. We're glad that you are with us this morning. Uh, this week we're going to talk about serving. Who do you serve? And so we're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet. One of my favorite books of the Bible and a very interesting book indeed. So I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah 2, starting at the fourth verse. You can do that in your pew Bibles. Bible, if you brought it with you on your app. Also, it is on the screen. Will you hear this, the word of our living God? Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me, and went after worthless things, and became worthless themselves? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives? I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruit and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, once more, I accuse you, says the Lord, and I accuse your children's children. Cross to the coast to Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now, heaven, now O Heavenly Father, as we turn, as we're in this sacred hour and turning to your sacred word, come and speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. For if your Holy Spirit speaks, Lord, nothing else matters. But if your Holy Spirit does not speak, Lord, nothing else matters. And so open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts today that we, your servants, may be listening. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength, and through Christ you are our salvation. Amen. What is your religion? Who is your God? What is your God? I want to begin with those two 
questions today and then maybe add a third. What's the most important thing in your life? Now it's interesting, the first two questions, I suspect when you heard it, you said, what is your religion and who is God? And I'm suspecting many of you were here and you're like, um, my religion is Christianity and my God is, you know, God. You thought that, right? I know, you're like, what kind of crazy? He always has some weird off-the-wall question. So I'm not terribly interested, actually, in your response to those first two questions, but I'm really interested in your response to the third question. What's the most important thing in your life? And so when I ask, who is your God and what's the most important thing in your life, are they answered with, do they have the same answer? Now, there's much been written, you've probably heard about, uh, the uh, decline in religious observance as a country affecting uh, mostly Christianity but also Judaism and other religions that after all it appears we are becoming a more quote-unquote secular country. This is even more advanced in, in Europe. And with all due respect to the new atheists who believe that this decline means we are going to have an age of beyond belief or based on total scientific rationality, they're wrong. You see, all of us in our hearts are religious people, whether it's the religions that we have been taught about or whether it's religions of our own making. I know this because this week I read a really interesting statistic. It's the most interesting statistic uh, that I've heard in a while. I, I, I cannot independently verify it, but it's this. In Iceland, a country that has very little Christianity, over 50% of the people believe in elves. Who knew, right? <laughs> believe in magical creatures like elves. And I thought, gee whiz. But I think what that teaches us is a deeper truth, which is we humans are people built with a need for something more, for something deeper than our everyday material, what we see kind of lives. I think we're built for that because we are affected by something that as Christians we call the fall. This idea that we were created to be in perfect relationship with God and one another and through disobedience uh, we, have, um, we fall short, we disobey, we are separated from God and the residue of that in our human hearts is that sense that we are not fully the people we ought to be. That sense that there could be something more, that we ought to do more or be better, that there is something greater that we need to reach out for. I think that's the basis of the religious impulse in all human beings, whether it is for Jesus or elves. And I think it's at the core of our human shared experience, that sense that we are not enough that we need help. And so how do you do it? How do we move from here to there? How do we move to that place where we can feel like we are actually enough? 
How do you do it? How do you deal with your failures? How do you deal with your struggles? You see, I think most people deal with them through all these other sort of things. They try to pour themselves into something. To, if they can only work hard enough or do well enough or excel or something, they will be good enough. Theologians would call it justification or righteousness. This idea that somehow we need to be righteous and we try to do it much of the time through what we would call self-justification or self-righteousness. If you don't think you do that, pay attention the next time someone criticizes you what your response is. How many of you will be immediately upset and try to justify the decision you made or whatever that someone is criticizing? That's self-justification. Or how, do we, how many of us dig deep into something hoping that if only we could be good enough at that thing, we might be enough as a person? That's why I ask you, what's the most important thing? How many of you believe if only you excelled at work enough, you would be good enough? If only you were the CEO of the company, then you could say, look at me, I'm good enough. How many of you would feel good about yourself? How many of you would feel better if you had more money? I heard it was said of Andrew Carnegie, possibly the second richest man who has ever lived. He was asked later in life, how much money would be enough? And he responded, just a little bit more. Or how many of you, if your kids went to the right college, you would feel, I am successful. I have been validated as a parent and as a person. I have succeeded if my kids are more successful. How many of us have poured that into the lives of our children and grandchildren and getting them into all kinds of activities and study sessions and test prep so that they can be successful and we do it so we can feel successful too? How many of us think if only we could be more fit or we could be thinner, we would feel good about ourselves and we would be good enough? Think about all these things that have come and they've taken the status of religion in our life. How many of these things take place of the most important thing that if only we could be good enough, we would be successful. We could we could, be, we could undo the sense of, of sin, the sense of failure that's in our hearts and we would be free. But I'm not sure it works that way. And you may be wondering, well this is very interesting, but what does this have to do with Jeremiah? Well, let me tell you. Let's go to the, let's, uh, Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament and he prophesied to a nation Uh, at least part of a nation, of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, that first two-thirds of your Bible, three-quarters depending on the length of the notes in your Bible, um, God it's a story all about a people called Israel. It started in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in the 12th chapter of the Bible, where God called Abram and said, your descendants will become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. This same God then multiplied the people because at the time he told Abram this about his descendants, Abram was an old man and didn't have any. Small problem. Not beyond the work of God. Eventually, 
The people became numerous and they went to a place in, they went to Egypt where eventually they ended up in slavery for 400 years to the Pharaoh. But God once again acted, calling and drawing his people together. And under using a person named Moses, he freed them from slavery, took them through the wilderness, a place that Jeremiah reminds us is a place of drought and deep darkness, a land no one passes through, where no one lives, and brings them to a place that the scriptures tell us was flowing with milk and honey. And God said, your glory is to be my people, to bear my truth to the world. And you'd think, that's a pretty sweet deal. You know, all those things you said before, if only I had a God who delivered me from my troubles and brought me to a land flowing with milk and honey, that would be enough. But it wasn't enough. Over time, Israel, you know, they didn't feel like enough because they were a small country. They were surrounded by bigger countries that were not very nice. And those smaller countries invaded and, were, and they said they made a peace deal so they could stay kind of sort of independent. And they agreed what they'd do is they'd send money but also the other country said, well, now you're going to become one of our vassals, one of our people. Uh, so we're going to need our God, our main God is this guy. And so uh, we're going to need you to take an altar of this guy and put it in your temple. And you can worship your God and our God. And they said, that sounds like a plan. God wasn't happy. But you know what got worse is over time that other God, that other God said, you know, all those struggles you're having in life, Uh, I exist to fix those problems. And so if you serve me well enough, your problems will be fixed. Your crops will grow. You will have children. Your animals will not die. And that was a pretty sweet deal. And so over time, they kept serving those other gods. And what they did is they found that as they were chasing those things that they thought would make them successful and make them enough, the worship of that God who took them out of Egypt kind of faded into the background. And Jeremiah says, God noticed, and he says, has another people ever exchanged their glory for something that does not profit? In fact, he says that those other gods that are no gods at all, those other things that we do to try to be good enough, to try to chase down and try to help and try to make it work, all those things that we try to do, he says that's like chasing, uh, chasing, um, after worthless things. The Hebrew word there that is translated in, in the scripture version this morning, worthless, your translation may vary. Uh, some, it's the same word that the preacher uses in the book of Ecclesiastes for vanity, where he says vanity, all of life is vanity. It's a word that in Hebrew means something that does not have weighty substance. And that's the way it is, is we know that we've got a God over here, but we're like, in order to be successful, I gotta chase these things. And what we find is we try to put our arms around them and they're like a vapor. They're like a ghost. That the more we try, we find that we get the promotion. We get the money. Our kids are successful. And the problem is, it's still not enough. And he says, and and Jeremiah reminds us, if we chase after the vapor, we will become like the vapor itself, lacking in substance. And how many of us, our lives marked by chasing after things that in the end don't matter. It makes another comparison. He talks about water too. 
I warned this morning a couple people I would use a farming analogy. It's more like a living in the country analogy. Some of you live in the country, I know. A lot of you I know grew up in the country. Down here in the country, uh, we, in Ohio, I grew up in Ohio, you have wells. I found that there aren't as many wells in Kentucky when I moved here. I really don't, I, I think it's because of the, the, the rocks. And see, I, I'm not a farmer. I don't live in the country. I know nothing. I'll admit that. But those of you who grew up in the country, uh, you kind of, there's two ways to get water if you don't have city water. One is uh, if you have a spring on your property and it provides water and it irrigates your crops and it provides water for your home. And another way is to dig a cistern. Now, those of you who grew up in the country, how many of you grew up, you had cistern water, and you, you dug a hole in the ground, you dug a pit in the ground, and the man came with the water and poured the water in, and you kept the water in the cistern, and you hoped it didn't go down too far? Well, how many of you would rather have a cistern than to have a stream flowing with clean water? Like, nobody. Because the cistern, over time, it, it, it kind of sits there, and it gets stagnant, well, cisterns now, they're kind of lined and they don't leak. Most of them don't leak. I'm sure you, some of you all have stories. But see, what happened was in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament days, in the days of the ancient Near East, they would dig holes in the limestone rock. And living here in Kentucky, we know all about limestone, right? What do you know about limestone? It, it's porous. So what happens if you try to pour lime, water into a limestone vessel? It'll eventually leak out. And so what they did is they'd plaster it. Well, now some of you, and some of you, I'm looking around, I know a few of you live in old houses with plastered walls. What do plaster walls do? They crack (laughs) badly. I grew up in a house like that. And so what they do is they plaster it, and they put water in it, but the plaster would crack, and the water would leak out, and the water would leak out, and they'd keep pouring. And so what do we do? We do the same thing. We try to chase that, which we, and he says, we pour more water in, right? And we just keep pouring the water in, and it's very expensive, but we keep pouring the water in, and the water keeps leaking out over and over and over again, and we say, this is a satisfying life. And God says, Why do you do that? Why do you do that to your spirit when I've given you a spring of clean, perfect water that will never end? Why do you do it? Why do I do it? You know, I I wonder sometimes it's a little bit about fear. Um, Because when you know the water's there, you know it's there. You got the guy who brings the water or you have a plan to bring the water and so you can control it. We love to control things. I love to control things. Our staff will vouch for that. Love to control things, whereas the spring is unpredictable. So do we trust that the spring will not run out? Or do we say, well, I can't trust that spring, so we'll just cap it, and we'll just bring water in. It'll leak out, but we can put more in, and more in, over and over and over again. Do you really want to do that? from the mouth of babes fantastic because you know what there is a spring of living water for your life and my life and his name is Jesus I didn't make that up it's in the Bible in John's gospel do you remember the story it's this great story Jesus comes to a well it's the middle of the day it's hot nobody in their right mind goes and gets water and carries water in the middle of the day except one woman 
except one woman. She is at such a bad reputation in her community that she has to go out in the middle of the day. And she comes and she drags water out of the well. And Jesus says, I am the living water. If you come to me, you will not thirst. And so my question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that the deepest hungers and thirsts of your life can be satisfied in Jesus? Because he came to the lady and said, if you come to me, you will never run dry. Are you willing to place him first? Are you willing to trust him that he would fill your life, that, he, that, that those sin and that disobedience and those failures you have, are you willing to trust that they have been dealt with not through your own actions, but through the actions of Jesus who died on a cross in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, whose blood was shed for you and who, says, and who gave his life for you? And we call that grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor, God coming to help us. And the biggest question is, will you receive that? You know, maybe you're here today and you wouldn't say you're a Christian. You're, you're, maybe you're interested, but today you're trying to do all these things to be good enough. And God says, give up. Admit defeat. Admit you need a Savior. And say, Jesus, I've messed up. I need the living water. And there's some of us here today that are, that are like me that, you know, you answered those first two questions with, you know, I- I'm a Christian God is my God, praise the Lord. But then my question is, is that the most important thing in your life? Do you trust your life? Do you trust your spirit, truly, wholly, not to what you can do, but to what God can do in you? Do you trust grace enough that it might actually work in your life? Or are you gonna try it harder? And I, I work with that every day. You know, I was worried about the sermon this morning. I'm sitting, in, sitting back there, I accidentally took a, a picture of my selfie on my phone. I was fussing with my phone with my notes. And I accidentally took a picture of myself. And I looked, I was not a happy camper. Someone said, you look tense. What, me? And then over the back corner, over the shoulder in the picture, there was a painting my wife made. And it included the, the last written words of John Wesley, the best of all is, God is with us. Now that gives us confidence to say that no matter what's going on in our life, no matter the, the struggles, no matter the chaos, that we don't have to get it out, we don't have to deal with it ourselves because the best of all is God is with us. That ought to give us peace. You know, in a moment we're going to come and we're going to receive Holy Communion and I love to receive Holy Communion here and always because it is a tangible sign of the grace of God. And all are welcome in this church. You don't have to be a member of this church to come. If you want to know Jesus more deeply, we would invite you, encourage you, and love for you to come and receive this sacrament. Because when you come, you make this, this strange symbolic action of saying, you know what, for my future, for my life, for this week ahead, for this month ahead, I am trusting that when I receive the grace of God, it will be enough to carry me. And so when you come and when you kneel at the rail and you receive the bread and the cup, come and say, When you come, maybe you'll whisper, God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough for the struggles I'm gonna face at work on Tuesday. God's grace is enough for my family. God's grace is enough for my future. God's grace is enough, it's the most important thing. And I will not serve those other gods, 
but I will serve him and him alone. And I'm so grateful that God says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.